Welcome to Brave Conversations with me, your host, Lee Sloan. As difficult as conversations can be these days, we believe that conversations still matter. Together, let's be brave enough to think, brave enough to feel, brave enough to change the world one brave conversation at a time. Well, hello, I'm back, and this time I'm coming to you all by myself to share with you some of my thoughts over the past few months. Sometimes, as you might know, the most important person you need to have a brave conversation with is yourself. (laughs) So here I am letting you in on some of the things that I've been conversing with myself about lately. As we know, so much mess is stirring in the air during this political season, and so I thought I'd just add my thoughts to hopefully help you sort it out in your own mind, help you have some brave conversations with yourself, and help us to all see it a little bit more clearly. So lately, I've been reading a very long book. Actually, I've been listening to it on audio. It's this book called Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. I would highly recommend it. It's by Doris Kearns. And even though it'll take you a while to get through, it's really fascinating. This book really intrigued me because I'm seeking wisdom and how we can conduct ourselves in a very politically divisive culture. Now, I know that we live in a very different time period than the Civil War era, but as I read this book, I was actually shocked by a lot of the similarities, more than I realized, of that era and ours today. And, you know, what I noticed was maybe there there were a few differences. The main difference that I noticed today was that we may be a little bit less principled. Like, we're not quite as concerned with what would be known as honor as maybe they did back then. But on the other hand, the the good side, I think, is that we're actually much less physically violent than we were 150 years ago. There was, I recall this one part in the book where there was a statesman that actually brought a gun to Congress and threatened the whole governing body in a drunken rage. (laughs) So, yeah, I think... um, I think some things we can be thankful for that are not happening today. Let's hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. But just like today, there were people who were vehemently opposed to one another. I can, I mean, we talk about the Civil War in kind of just, you know, as a fact that it happened, but we don't think about, um, you know, how much di- division there was. And there were factions even on within, you know, the, the each party, right? There was the liberal side, the conservative side on each party. There were those who were only concerned. Um, let's say take the Republican Party because that was the majority. There were those who were only concerned with the issue of succession and keeping the union together. And they, they put that above everything else. Um, there were other more radicals that they would call them radicals that thought that Abraham Lincoln was way too slow in emancipating the slaves. And they were wondering how committed he was to ending slavery at all in the very beginning. And the country seemed like it was going to be completely torn apart by this war, by the political divisiveness and everything else. And we survived. So it really gave me a lot of hope, right? And at the same time, I saw political games being played just like they are today back then because, you know, it's human nature. And the media was involved. The media was wishy-washy. They were, um, they spoke in biased terms. And 
so some of us feel that like our problems are really unique to us, but they are very human and very predictable. And they're also, I believe, very particular to this representative democracy that we have. Because we, as Americans, we have this value, this strange value for freedom of speech. We believe that virtually everything we say should be permissible. And that is very important. I, I love that about us as America. That's probably one of my, probably my favorite thing, actually. But we also know that even though everything we say is permissible, we know deep down that not everything is beneficial. <laughs> and therein lies the tension between two paradigms. The everything is permissible paradigm and the not everything is beneficial paradigm. And the key is, the clincher is, they both must remain equally true in order to maintain our free society ideals. The everything is permissible paradigm looks like a high tolerance for the things that people say. Um, And especially the things that other people say. I saw this so clearly in the life of Abraham Lincoln. It It was amazing. While others were outraged, over this thing or the other thing, Abraham Lincoln remained calm and calculated most of the time. I mean, he was a human being, right? So so he did get angry inside, but he had high, high standards for truth and integrity in himself and how he communicated to others, you know, like writing a letter, then throwing it away or revising it, right? Um, but he also, at the same time, this is amazing, he did also did not exact those same standards on others. Can you imagine if everyone did that, had grace for others and, and, and mercy for others, being quick to forgive what comes out of another person's mouth while maintaining very high standards for what comes out of their own mouths? I mean, can you imagine what kind of a difference it would make in our society? I think it's really something to think about for your own life. What standards are you holding for yourself versus the standards you're holding for others? Now, not only was it admirable of Lincoln to do this, but strategically, it was actually pretty brilliant. Because setting a higher standard for himself, it made people realize his greatness, really, People who knew better saw him doing this. Now, not everybody in the room might have noticed when, when he would elevate someone else, like w- when he would take the fall for someone else, um, when he would take responsibility for something that really wasn't his responsibility. But people in high places who knew better and who could see through it, it exponentially increased their respect for him and trust in him, even those who were or would be his rivals. Now, he also understood that not everything is beneficial. And I've noticed a lot of people only looking at one side of the coin. They focus on their right to do something, which is actually very important that we know our rights. But at the same time, sometimes they disregard the strategy around what they're doing. Is this beneficial? They feel morally justified but they lack wisdom around the how. Let me share with you something I posted on Facebook last week. A representative democracy is only as sophisticated as its people. 
We can choose to make it about real philosophical ideas that matter, or we can choose to make it about a personality, the color or gender of a person, or whether or not a fly was buzzing around a person's head. Either way, we make the bed we lie in. How we talk to each other and what we choose to focus on matters. We may not change America overnight, but we can choose today to leave the cheap bait where it lies. We can choose to elevate our conversation and eventually elevate the nation. The how is just as important as the what. It is also possible to be as fierce about love as we are about truth. Thankfully, I believe that true truth, (laughs) truth that sets people free, tends to be buoyant and usually finds its way to the surface. But it only does that quickly when there is an atmosphere of love. Love has a way of unlocking the truth. Love covers a multitude of sins, as we know, but this is the key. Love might cover a multitude of sins, but it doesn't cover sin up. There is a difference between covering over and covering up. And the only way we'll notice that difference is wisdom. I liken it for going in for surgery. When you take someone in for surgery, you know that something's wrong and you need to actually open them up to have it fixed. And you do this very carefully in a very sanitary environment and you don't do it when they are exposed to the elements, right? You do it in a very safe place. But some of us have thought that love means covering it up, acting like nothing's wrong and refusing to go under the knife. No, love demands the painful process of being cut open. But the purpose, this is the difference, the purpose is for restoration, for truth to be known, not violence and destruction. Love demands confrontation, but not destruction. Love wants to eradicate the infection or dead tissue, but restore the actual person. So, I want to address something that has been concerning me just a little bit about what I'm hearing out there in the Christian world. And it's a subtle thing. It's not something I want to condemn anyone over, but I think it's sort of a clash of the church world and the political world that's coming together right now. And as as you know, I've been a part of both, and I care about both. So there's a video on the Pastor Tony Evans website. Now, Tony Evans is somebody I really respect. I think he's probably a really great pastor. His daughter, Priscilla Shire, is one of my favorite Bible teachers. And on this video, his son Jonathan gets on there, and he is preaching about how, as believers, we are supposed to not elevate our political parties in such a way that we put that above our commitment and our allegiance to God, our identification with God. And that is 100% true. I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, some of us tend to want to, especially when, when emotions get high, we tend to elevate our political parties above all else. And that is a real danger. It's actually, you know, I believe it's idolatry. So then... um. The, the video goes on to come to the question of whether or not we as Christians should choose to identify with a political party or choose a side, so to speak. 
And here is when Jonathan says that if we're called by his name, we should not take on any other name, that we should not call ourselves Republicans or Democrats or whatever other party you want to choose, and that as a family, the Evans family will not give anyone the satisfaction of knowing who they are supporting or who they are not supporting in the upcoming election. Now, this is completely fine. This is a conviction of theirs. I fully support their choice to do this. No one should be forced to state who they're voting for or morally shamed for not stating that, right? This is a personal choice. And he calls, he calls the family and, and those who are with him kingdom independence, representing the kingdom of God above all else. And that's, I also agree with that 100%. Of course, we as Christians all want to represent the kingdom above all else. There's no, even if you're not a Christian, um, there's not going to be a group that you're going to be in lockstep agreement with. And I think that if we blindly follow our parties, it is a recipe for disaster. However, <laughs> this is what's concerning to me. I think we get ourselves on a slippery slope when we make the subtle assertion, subtle though it is, that we are more righteous by refraining from identifying with a political party or candidate. And this is what I like to call white glove syndrome. It's this idea that we can stay aloof to political concerns and remain above it without ever getting involved in it. And I believe this is a false assumption. Our government, our particular government, is created to be a participatory process. And even when we look back to the life of Jesus, we see that his life was far more political than we realize. I did a YouTube teaching on this. We forget that the religious groups of his day, both the Sadducees and the Pharisees and a few other political groups, we, they were actually political groups. They weren't just religious groups because they didn't have any kinds of separation between the religion and the state. And Jesus engaged with them as he would any other political figure, any public figure. They asked him questions. They tried to trap him, just like our media does today. And they were trying to see which side he would side with. Now, it's true. Jesus didn't follow either one lockstep. Um, but he also, but he participated in the pol- political activism. Do you remember him tipping the tables in the temple? That wasn't just religious activism. That was political activism. It was a known form of demonstration to overturn tables in that day, to make a point that he disagreed with the decision that the Sadducees had made, the elite people had made, as to where the buying and selling occurred for the people of God in their worship. Jesus didn't even have the opportunity to vote, but he still participated in the political realm. The fact is that there is no verse in the Bible that tells you whether to be a Republican or a Democrat. You will not find it, or a Libertarian or Green Party or anything else you might uh, think of. That is a personal choice between you and God, and it it is a man-made system. But we have to be careful that we don't fall into this false dichotomy of being a Christian versus being politically active. You are no less spiritual for choosing to engage in a political party. In fact, 
I believe that the reason the political parties are often in such a mess is because the Christians have chosen to stay out. Because we were afraid of being judged and rejected and maybe felt a little sullied for getting too, quote-unquote, political. When you have a participatory government like ours, even the choice not to engage is a choice that has consequences. And you can vote and not tell anyone who you're voting for or who you're endorsing. Pretty much everybody thinks that you should vote. I mean, that's, that's just a given, right? But if you don't tell anybody who you're voting for, that doesn't make you better than the person who chooses to, to chooses to endorse someone, chooses to um, engage in that part of the process. All it does is relegate your vote, vote to yourself alone. The thing that multiplies our vote and elevates our vote is our voice. Our nation is designed in such a way that it presupposes that if you don't like something, you will use your voice to try to change it. And it's the right of each person to raise their voice or to keep their voice to themselves. But you are responsible for the consequences of either remaining silent or speaking. When I looked at this video and even other articles I've seen since then that, uh, that people have been posting on, online, um, I've seen this subtle white glove mentality come out. And when I try to listen, I imagine listening to this in a time during maybe the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, and I try to see if the message still rings true. Think about it for a second. Would this message still ring true in the, maybe the time of the Civil War? The fact is, for me, it really doesn't. Most of us, I think, are glad that someone like Abraham Lincoln joined the Republican Party and chose a side during the Civil War. Funny how our perspectives can change when we consider the hindsight that history affords us. Part of what I think is really happening here is that some Christian leaders don't really realize how important this time is in our political history. And yes, we are frustrated with both sides. I think there are people who are even on each side that are also frustrated with both of their sides. And, you know, I wonder how much further down the road we'll get before people realize that that we actually picking a side might be actually beneficial to enact change on both sides. Here's something else to think about. I think we Christians are so excited about the moral principles we believe in, and that is who we are. We are people with high beliefs. That is great, a great thing about us. When we stay true to our principles, we know that we are, quote-unquote, innocent as doves. We want to remain that way. On the other hand, we have people out there who are very strategic. And a lot of times they are only strategic. They put winning over everything. These are the politicians. These are the wealthy. um, They're wise as serpents. And we sometimes feel that it's not possible to keep our principles intact and to be smart about our strategies. And so we don't even try. 
We just cling to our principles for dear life and think it will be enough. But what I noticed, uh, going back to Abraham Lincoln, what I noticed about his life is he was able to hang on to his moral moral principles of both being anti-slavery while at the same time being smart about how he went about it and what he said about it at any given time. He knew that if he missed the timing of his actions, the cause would be lost altogether. He willingly invited known rivals of his into the process of deliberation because he knew he needed to, the, that rub of conflict to be the crucible that brought the best ideas to the surface. And I can guarantee you, there were many, many frustrating and complicated but ultimately brave conversations going on behind those closed doors. And we are experiencing the benefits of all of that messiness. (laughs) So we can see the tension of these two seemingly opposite paradigms at work, our tension between holding on to our moral integrity and enacting a wise strategy. A lot of our bravest conversations occur not around a difference in morality. I think there is still a sense of morality in America, but a difference in our strategy. The strategy conversation is equally important as the morality conversation is. So often all we can see about the people we admire, uh, you know, like the people in history, you know, is their moral high ground. Or people, you know, even like like Martin Luther King Jr., you think about his moral high ground. But as I, I get to know these, these figures in history, I can guarantee you they didn't get where they arrived without great and wise strategy. So another thing that we do when we tend to, when we disagree with someone's strategy is we assume that they're morally bankrupt. We put that morality thing in there. Well, it's possible that maybe they are morally bankrupt, it's usually, I think, wiser to assume that they're not and to instead focus on the areas where we do agree first. If we want to restore what is broken in our country, it will take all of us getting off our white gloves and maybe getting in there, getting a little bit dirty with these conversations won't only take us being innocent as doves or true to our principles, but also being wise as serpents. It's going to take tolerating the irritating words of others while we're careful to choose the high ground for our own words and be responsible for what comes out of our own mouths. It will be uncomfortable and it will be scary, but even the most hesitant of us can simply say yes to the challenge. Say yes to those messy conversations. It's a tough season we're in right now with elections coming up, and I just want to continue to remind you to have mercy for people. All of us are in process, and not all of us feel equipped to take a stand one way or another. Even some of our pastors don't feel equipped in those areas. That's not, um, those areas were not what they were trained in. And so we need to be patient with each other. We need to be very careful about judging people for either their conviction to take a stand 
or not to take a stand at any given time. While it can be really challenging internally to practice this kind of tolerance, it's really still important that we love and honor one another. I encourage you to stay brave, thoughtful, and true to your convictions. Thanks so much for being a part of this brave conversation. Happy voting, and I hope you'll stay with me for many more. See you on the other side.